Section 6 of What She Said and What She Meant and People Who Haven't Time and Can't Afford It by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. People Who Haven't Time and Can't Afford It Chapter 1 In the Nursery Mrs. Lehman was in the nursery with her sewing. She was nearly always with her sewing. Her needle had almost grown to be a part of herself. She called this pretty, sunny room the nursery, because that was such a pleasant name to her. It suggested the children's rights as prominent here. And besides, if this were not the nursery, then the children had none, and she was bent on their having a spot of their own. To be sure, the family gathered here for morning prayers and for breakfast, and at dinner-time, carts and horses and whistles and slates and dollies had to be pushed out of the way to make room to set the table for in the absence of a dining-room they had to use the nursery and by three o'clock in the afternoon it was necessary for the little laymans to gather all the playthings from the four corners of the room and put them away carefully and get the room in order for chance callers for the neat and cheery-looking parlour was not a parlour at all, but Grandma's room, and Grandma wasn't always in the mood to see company. So you perceive that the nursery was also the layman's parlour. It was a useful room, and it bore its part of educating the little layman's very well, for did they not early learn the necessity for neat and careful disposal of their playthings and their books? Besides, since mother nearly always sat in the nursery with sewing, there were many helpful little things that they could do for her, such as threading needles, finding lost scissors, or stray spools, or pins. In short, because the laymans were obliged to make a dining, sewing, sitting-room of the nursery, the little laymans were learning to be orderly, helpful, courteous people now you know the social status of the laymans as well as though i had talked of them for hours people who could not afford to banish the children and sit in elegant idleness in the elegant parlour waiting for calls on the wintry afternoon which i write the nursery was at its sunniest it was a south room and was prettily furnished there was an easy chair for freddie layman and a dainty rocker for Millie Layman, and a carved and cushioned high-chair for Baby Layman. It was a notion of this mother's to have everything pretty nice and pretty bright for her children, and then to help them take care of it. The mother sat among her children, and sewed on a scarlet dress that was neither for Millie nor yet for Baby. In fact, the mother made many dresses and aprons, and sacks and waists, and every other bewildering article of the child's toilet, which did not belong to the wardrobe of the little layman's. Very early in her life she had discovered that there were mothers who could not make these pretty garments for their own darlings, and who would pay a fair price to other mothers to make them. So the shining needle flew, and many were fashioned by her skilful fingers, and many a bright dollar was added to the family purse, for they had all things in common, this couple. Mr. Layman worked early and late at his machinery, and Mrs. Layman worked early and late at her machinery, 
though I am willing to admit that she had to reset the gauges and change works oftener than he did. As she sewed, she thought. Baby Lehman slept the sleep of a healthy, cleanly, warmly dressed, well-fed baby in her crib in the corner, her eyes shaded from the sun by a screen that the careful papa had made and the careful mamma had covered, slept despite the noise of a train of cars that were just setting off guided by engineer Freddy, and a vigorous rub-a-dub-dub of the washboard as little Miss Milly put Seraphina's clothes through the ordinary processes of a wash. Baby had been taught to sleep on through these and kindred noises, and she did it. As for Mrs. Lehman, her face was grave and thoughtful, and as often as she looked at or answered the questions of either of her darlings, the shadow of thought on her face deepened. The fact is, but a very few days before she had unexpectedly come in contact with one of the social problems of our free and independent country, and it puzzled and troubled her. It had transpired that the little garments were so accumulating on her hands that she found it necessary to look up one of those objects with which her hitherto busy life had had little to do, that is, a washerwoman. She found her, and she also found many other things. She went up and down certain streets where she had never walked before, and she found, dreadful to relate, miserable, half-naked, half-starved children, miserable, neglected, filthy homes, miserable, filthy, sickly, hopeless mothers. What a horrible sight it was! How shall I describe to you Mrs. Lehman's feelings, as she thought of her home, and her husband, and her children, and looked in upon these terrible homes, and saw these reeling husbands, and these dreadful children. She had heard, indeed, of misery, and poverty, and hunger, and cold, and sickness, in their low and repulsive and altogether horrible forms. But to hear a thing and see it, for the first time, with one's wide-open, startled eyes, are two very different matters. She questioned some of these swarming homes. Did the children go to school? To school? They had not rags enough to wear at home, let alone school. Well, then, surely they went to Sunday school? To Sunday school? And the answer was intensified with a sneer. Who would let the likes of them into Sunday school? Did they know about Jesus, who came down from heaven to save them? This last question, asked in a hesitating, awe-stricken tone, as from one who was almost afraid to speak that dear name in such atmosphere, lest she should indeed be casting pearls before absolute swine, and yet he died even for these but her answer was a deeper sneer. Jesus, what was he to such as them, or what did he care what became of them? If he died for them, why did he not give them clothes enough to keep them from freezing, or bread enough to keep them from stealing? What could Mrs. Lehman say? What could she do? The poor ye have always with you, she murmured it to her own soul, then they were indeed a God-given trust. What had she ever done for the poor? 
a few cold pieces now and then as one of the bolder of them begged at her door a garment saved up for some one who she knew was struggling with poverty a dime in the basket occasionally of a sunday when a collection for the poor was called for this was the extent of her work for them as for sacrifice she had heard of the word in fact she believed that several times in life it could have been applied to her didn't she go without a new dress all one winter when they were paying for their pretty little cottage but that was for herself well didn't she do without a girl all through the hot summer weather in order that freddy and milly and baby could have two weeks at the seaside but that was for her children dearer than herself well didn't she get along without a new cloak this very winter in order to help toward the refurnishing of the church but that was for herself and her husband and her children and was to be enjoyed by them for years to come was it sacrifice if she chose a pretty church for herself instead of a pretty cloak for herself had she a right to say that she had sacrificed for christ very solemn questions did mrs layman ask herself as warned by the gathering darkness she suddenly left the miserable street and went home sick at heart since which time she had done some earnest thinking which as she sewed the strawberry buttons onto the scarlet dress was rapidly settling into fixed resolve even before the last one was sewed she gathered up her work and went swiftly over to grandma's door and tapped it was a dainty courtesy that she was trying to teach the children this remembrance always to tap at grandma's door and of course they could not be expected to do it unless she set the example would grandma come and sit with the children while she went out for a couple of hours surely said the cheery voice from within and grandma's black dress and white hair and white cap and smiling face beamed lovingly on the little folks i'll take the best care of them and we'll have the nicest of times and i do hope you are going out for a little enjoyment this afternoon and not always business mrs layman smiled yes she said i am going for enjoyment if i can accomplish what i want i am sure i shall enjoy it can you guess what she was after do you know that out of her inner consciousness during the week that she had sat and sewed she had resolved a scheme so broad and deep and far-reaching that it thrilled her and yet that seemed to her the most reasonable thing to do and a thing that was only necessary to mention to the christian world to meet with their eager approval and help her schemes as i say branched in various directions one of them was a school for the children in two branches to teach them to sew and to teach them to cook and sweep and wash dishes and dust and set table and oh well all sorts of work not all at once you know but gradually little by little the sewing school to be commenced right away and the other blessings to follow in logical order not only the children but the mothers provide them with garments for their own wear and teach them how to make them teach them how to take care of their homes make their beds properly 
furnish them with proper bed-clothing, and show them how to keep it in order. Show them how to care for the poor, little, neglected babies, that it made her heart sick just to think of. Teach them how to fill, in short, the place that God designed a woman and a wife and a mother to fill. I hope you see how wide this beautiful scheme of hers was, and yet you have not glanced at the half of it. There was lying back of all this, of course, eager plans for the souls, the priceless, never-dying souls that were being dwarfed inside of these dreadful bodies, and being dragged down by the very force of the physical into absolute shipwreck. Mrs. Lehman was full of enthusiasm. She was aglow with her subject. She was amazed that she had, metaphorically, folded her hands and idled away her life, so far as the needs of others were concerned. She meant to do it no longer, and she knew, or, bless her innocent heart, she thought she knew, of hundreds who would join her with heart and soul and purse. The purse was the part that for herself she could not compass, but she reflected with satisfaction that the Lord had many stewards in the first church to whom he had entrusted houses and lands and gold and silver. There was no need for that part of the work to fail. So behold her arrayed in her winter best, ready for calls on a certain number of families whose names were on the same church roll as her own, and who were amply supplied with leisure and wealth. She hoped to make rapid work during those two hours, for she was one who, having little time in which to work, must needs work fast. She made her first attempt in Mrs. Van Norman's elegant uptown mansion. Mrs. Van Norman was young, bright, and beautiful, having unlimited wealth and unlimited control over it, and withal having the reputation of possessing a very kind heart and warm impulses. And Mrs. Van Norman was a Christian, who so well calculated to give time and money and enthusiasm to so great a work as this? The servant eyed Mrs. Lehman's plain black cashmere and neat cloak of last year's style somewhat dubiously, while he waited for her card, and finally had to ask her name. Before he had received his answer, he had determined her position in society, and left her standing in the grand hall, while he went to announce her to his mistress. Little cared she for that. The hall was grander than any parlor with which she was familiar, and she looked about her with genuine interest, and feasted her beauty-loving eyes on its appointments. She did not hear Mrs. Van Norman's half-impatient soliloquy. "'What on earth can she want? A sewing-woman, you think, James?' "'Something of that sort, ma'am, I should say.' "'Well, let her come up here. She wants work, I presume.' But Mrs. Lehman's entrance was cordial, and her greeting that of an equal. She had sat in the same pew with Mrs. Van Norman at communion two Sabbaths before, and remembered that she was greeting a sister in the Lord. Then she eagerly, with bright eyes and ringing voice and animated expressions, unfolded her errand, as one who expected to come in contact with an instant heart-throb of sympathy. She was suddenly interrupted. 
my dear woman do you actually say you went into the creatures houses and sat down on their horrible chairs really i think it was a tempting of providence what horrible diseases you may have brushed against how could you but the awful need for somebody to do it mrs van norman think of that i did not come in closer contact than was necessary and it is to remove such a dreadful state of things that i want your help and besides she hurried on seeing mrs van norman's lips about to open and not liking the expression of her face i found some and indeed they were the saddest cases who in their abject poverty were yet clean and had made pitiful attempts to put their bare homes into something like decency such people need help if we had a room where their children could come once a week and indeed where they could come to get help and to learn ways of managing and to get a breath of hope breathed into their discouraged souls think what a transformation it would soon make in their lives it looks like an utterly wild idea said mrs van norman settling back among her cushions and opening wide the book in which she had kept the place with her finger a perfectly unpractical and undesirable thing whom could you get who would endure the horrors of spending an afternoon with them certainly no one who had self-respect or who knew enough of decency to be able to teach anything if any of them wanted to learn which of course they don't two red spots began to glow on mrs layman's cheeks i would spend an afternoon a week willingly she said firmly and there are some things i could teach them you well my good woman i advise you never to do it there must be less horrible ways of earning a living than that mrs layman rose hastily she had made a mistake surely the lord jesus christ could not be this woman's elder brother no hope of her devoting of her leisure to help his poor up to a knowledge of him yet there were her hundreds of thousands could she go away without enlisting some little might from them for the treasury of her lord she kept down her indignation and was meek if you cannot give this matter your personal help will you not lead my paper with a subscription that will start the thought for others mrs van norman hesitated opened her tiny jewelled watch started with an air of well-bred surprise at the lateness of the hour rang her bell gave an order to the servant to the effect that her carriage should be ready precisely at four then turned again to her caller i really haven't time to investigate the matter this evening some day i will look into it perhaps and determine whether to give you a donation though as i told you it doesn't commend itself to my judgment i think it will be very likely to be money thrown away and for yourself i don't believe you would find it profitable employment then she settled back to her cushions and her book then mrs layman went with speed and resolved on her way downstairs that she would never no never ask that woman for money again let us hope that she broke that foolish resolution end of section six